Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? It is August 1903, and 300 loggers, canners, and sheep herders are drinking Henry Weinhardt's beer at the longest bar in the entire world. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindberg, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. As longtime listeners to this series know, we at Kick-Ass Oregon History are enthralled by the legends of Erickson's Saloon. We have covered the legendary Temple of Ten Thousand Delights often enough, and the proprietor as well, so we won't go into too much of a recap here. Listen to our old-timey bars I'd like to get fucked up at podcast, and of course, our last Erickson's podcast, Erickson's Now, for a good primer. Suffice to say, that on Burnside Street in Portland, Erickson's saloon spanned from 2nd to 3rd, a gigantic hall of Bacchus filled with loggers and sailors, ranchers and canners, soldiers from Fort Vancouver, rough and tumble men looking to have a good fucking time. The men who drank at Erickson's were a husky, hard-working lot, for the most part young and spirited, cooped up for months in places as devoid of pleasures as a prison cell, and then suddenly let loose in a world of pleasure, theirs for the demanding as long as they had the price. They satisfied their desire for play in this same direct, brutal way in which they conquered their tough jobs. The attraction of Ericsson's to these men was in the comradely democratic atmosphere, the cheerful setting, the hilarious and carefree companionship, the devil-may-care spirit. For these things, they were willing to pay any price, even if there was the morning after, the furred tongue and aching head, they were willing to pay the price. It was, in their opinion, well worth. Charles Olaf Olsen. They fell in love. His name was Rico. He wore a diamond. I recently fell down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to take you down it too. I started thinking about the claim that was bequeathed to Erickson's Saloon, the largest bar in the world. How big is big? And when was it big? There was a drinking establishment in Old Town, operating under the name of Erickson's, for about a hundred years. 
However, the lifespan of the actual physical countertop that the drinks were served on, what we shall henceforth refer to as the big fucking bar, is a pretty narrow range. The time frame we are talking about is at most a 20 year or so period, maybe from 1895, after major refitting due to the damage of the Great Flood in 1894, to say 1918, the settling in of Prohibition. This was the real heyday of Erickson's Saloon. And since as far as this historian is concerned, size matters, the real question becomes, when August Erickson was really swinging his brass around the Portland's north end, just how long was the big fucking bar? Some of August's Portland competition countered his claim that Mine is so much bigger than anyone else's. In 1894, at least, a few months after the Great Flood, another bar was being called the longest in Portland. This bar was at Kunkel and Hawk's Place on Southwest 4th and Washington. The bar counter was made in Portland by Stewart and Winslow. It was black walnut, considered one of the city's finest, and was termed the longest at 38 feet in length so it seems unlikely that another grand bar, longer than 38 feet, was operating a few blocks away, at least before 1895. Only a few years later, Fred Fritz's place, across Burnside from Erickson's saloon, was reported to have had a bar that was rectangular at 90 feet in total length. The bar at Fritz's received some respect in the realm of big barness, but Erickson's still seemed to have been likely to have topped that other Burnside institution. So we get it. Portland had some big bar tops. How big could Erickson's North End Bar Giganticus have really been? The resident historian did a little bit of digging to see what he could find. This is resident historian Doug King Crispin, and I am sitting at uh, the Lotus uh, Card Room and Cafe with uh, fellow historian Joe Strecker. Thanks for joining us today, Joe. Thank you, Doug. And of course, we're going to be talking about Erickson, so I thought it'd be appropriate we had a couple shots of uh, Burnside bourbon for that. So, cheers. Cheers. Oh, we're going all the way? I was following your lead. <laughs> all right, let's go all the way. Fuck it. Ooh. Lovely. Little, little beer chaser there. So, all right, Joe, uh, the purpose of this meeting, besides having a couple shots at 11 a.m., mm -hmm. is uh, to talk about the length of the bar at Erickson's Saloon. And I thought it'd be great if we did it here at the Lotus. You can see this lovely bar behind us. Uh, it's, it's about 30 feet long. Yeah. You know, uh, Lotus Course is an old place established in 1924 during Prohibition. It was a soda fountain, but of course you can get some drinks here. House of Prostitution at the Hotel Lotus above. Um, you know, there's some bullet holes in the bar back and shit like that. I, it's a very appropriate locale for our discussion. And Erickson so, would approve. I, I think he would, especially with the he 11 a.m. shots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so do we know how big the bar at Erickson's really was? Well, the most common number that I have heard is that it was 684 feet. Either there was one gigantic bar that was 684 feet, or if you took all of the bars, big bars, little bars, in Erickson's and added them together, you would get 684 feet of bar. 
Um, I've seen a few other figures bandied about. It, you, they usually always start with a six, but 684 is what I've heard most often. Now, the bar that's right behind me right now, it's 30 feet long. It's taken up the entire room, essentially. It's big, it's dominating, it's a beautiful bar. It's 30 feet long. So there'd be like 23 of those, doing my rough math. Yeah. If Erickson had 684 feet worth of bar, that would be monumental. So I have some numbers to, for context. Okay, so Portland's blocks, our city blocks, are 265 feet. So Erickson's bar, he'd have more bar than in a few city blocks. Um, the Wells Fargo Center, tallest building in Portland, five, 546 feet. Wow. Yeah, so Erickson... So in context, wow. Right, so in context... Uh, tallest building in Portland is 546 feet uh, long. Erickson would have had to have more bar than the Wells Fargo Center. Um, the St. Louis Arch, 630 feet. The Great Pyramid is 41. You know, for thousands of years, it was the tallest structure in the world. Erickson's would have had more bar than the Great Pyramid is tall. That's kind of fucking awesome. That is kind of fucking awesome. If and it's true. If it's true. If it's true. Well... Oh, and uh, Statue of Liberty, 305 feet with the base. Uh, the Chris, uh, Cristo Redentor, the Jesus statue in Brazil, is 98 and a half feet. And the reason I'm bringing these up is because people, when they talk about Ericsson's, they talk about it like it's a monument. Like it's something that you just kind of have to see. Like it's the big arch or like it's the Statue of Liberty. And they want to give it a figure befitting that of a monument. Now, it would have been really hard to make that work. So... One of the things that I've seen from people trying to kind of force it and make it work is having a bar that was weaving around in kind of an undulating sine curve around a big main room. And we've been in that big main room. I guess you could do that and have a bar that just sort of weaved out and about, but you would do that probably for the sake of just having a really big bar, not because it would be a well-designed space. Um, I've also heard that the bar could have had how can I put this? Like crenellations? Like little sticky-outy parts. And it could have gone... like a Think of a castle crenellation. And you would have a little space for each guy. And that would re do more surface, uh, surface area and more length. Uh, and that would have made it longer if you measured the length each, in each crenellation. This is going to get really nerdy, but kind of like how Benoit Mandelbrot said the coast of Britain is, Ingl is infinite. That kind of thing. But adding up to 684. Um, I think it's possible Erickson had a 684-foot bar or 684 feet worth of bar. I don't think it's probable, but it's possible. Pathological monsters Cried the terrified mathematician Every one of them a splinter in my Space in the coke curve. I fear the Cantor Turner reset. The Sapinski gasket makes me wanna cry. In our modern era, it is generally accepted that Ericsson's saloon had a bar that was 684 feet in length.
Pacific Northwest historian Stuart Holbrook certainly cemented this legendary length as gospel. As one will read in his quintessential tome on the history of the Pacific Northwest, Wild Men, Wobblies, and Whistlepunks, It occupied the best part of a city block of Portland Skid Road, which was and is Burnside Street, and its noble bar presented a total length of exactly 684 lineal feet. Men of Gath could have lifted their schooners here in comfort. And that staggering, stupefying span estimate continues to be quoted as gospel to this day. Imbibe magazine, The Oregonian, Restore Oregon, even the books Vanishing Portland and The Social History of Bourbon all cite this famed 684-foot length. Even our own resident historian has done his share of propagating this legend. Here he is on the Know Your City's PDX Social History Guide walking tour app. And we're standing in front of Erickson Saloon. Now, this establishment was created in the late 1800s by a Finnish immigrant by the name of August Erickson. The bar was considered unrivaled in the Western world with a physical bar that measured 684 feet. It was actually five bars that ran... And again, on OPB's Oregon Experience episode... Portland Noir. Erickson Saloon, uh, like all saloons, claim that they were unrivaled in the Western world. But this one may actually be true. They had a bar that was 684 feet long, uh, possibly the largest bar in the United States at that time. I mean, the actual place where you sit down and drink was 684 feet long. It spanned almost a block. But the moment has come, dear ass kickers, to set the record straight and bring you the straight shit on the big fucking ball. in a logical fashion. I reviewed the newspapers from the era, looking for any direct quotes or reporters' scribblings about the properties of the structure the bartenders put the drinks on at Erickson's Saloon. And I assembled something like a timeline, because, well, I'm a historian and I'm kind of fucking geeked out on timelines. Yes, in real life. An article from 1905 notes that Erickson's Saloon was Portland's largest retail liquor merchant, which operated seven bars inside the saloon, which extended from 2nd to 3rd Streets on Burnside. Another 1905 article accounts even more renovations taking place at Erickson's. The establishment is being described as the largest and most palatial resort on the Pacific Coast, which was likely a true assessment. In describing the saloon, several largest quantifiers are dropped the largest hall, the largest orchestrion ever made. In fact, it was described as being a mastodontic orchestrion. But largest or longest bar is not mentioned in this list of braggy largeness. Don't waste my fucking time. Don't ask me. 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 Don't ask
1913, we do see a mention of Grand Barnes. By this time, August had divested himself from the North End establishment, and Fred Fritz was running the place. He advertised, The longest bar in the world, lined with the working giants of the woods, taking their glasses of beer and telling tales of the forest, while the jolly tar, fresh from his ship, was spinning yarns of the deep blue sea. Finally, a tangible period mention of the longest bar in the world. The big fucking bar has arrived in the press, just in time for Prohibition. After Prohibition hit, the accepted lore is that the BFB and or bars at Ericsson's were cut up or dismantled or at least shortened. From Prohibition on, there is no first-hand account of the BFB. It's all memory, with a heaping sprinkle of legend and quite a few plentiful pinches of lore. In 1925, the grandness of Erickson's Bar seems to have been established in our community's folklore. A 1925 article remembers that in the heyday, 300 men could line up at the Erickson's Bars, and the bars were over 200 foot in length. Still a far cry from the 684-foot big fucking bar, but a darned large bar nonetheless. In 1927, a survey was undertaken to resolve this very inquiry. Arthur Kaler of the Oregonian also wanted to know just how big the big fucking bar really was. He spared no ink in researching the length of the BFB, which he termed the Old St. Petersburg Bar. Kaler identified the era-ending remodeling of the big fucking bar as taking place during Prohibition. But it's interesting to note that even 80-some-odd years ago, folks weren't really sure just how big this big fucking bar was. Kaler made the critical conclusion that the bar at Erickson's was at least over 100 feet long. Kaler wrote that a bar over 100 feet was... A really tremendous length for a bar, and one rivaled only by such places as the American Club in Shanghai and some of the old beer saloons in St. Louis. In his research, Kaler spoke with the carpenter from Ericsson's, Billy Hilton, but Hilton couldn't remember how long the bar was. A.R. McKinley, manager of the Brunswick Balk Colander Company, reckoned it must have measured 75 feet. Bartender Oscar Newland says it was about 125 feet. 
Speaking about an Elks convention he worked in 1912, bartender Newland remembers there being five bars at Erickson's. One old-timer said the bar was 300 foot long, and as Portland blocks were only 200 foot long, the bar curved. Or as we imagined it, I'm telling you, that goddamn bar curved. In a 1961 piece regarding the bar finally moving out of the Fritz family, Stuart Holbrook is quoted as saying the bar totaled either one mile or a mile and a half or five miles. I don't know which. It was a mighty long bar anyway. Yet long as it was, it was no uncommon sight to see men three deep drinking or waiting for a drink along the polished mahogany. Six days later, Holbrook clarified. The total length of the five bars ran to 684 lineal feet. Holbrook also states that the 680-foot figure was provided by a former Golden Age of Ericsson's bartender and bouncer from the legendary saloon, and the central source for many of Holbrook's more outlandish tales, none other than Spider Johnson. Spider Johnson. We have some real issues with Spider here at Kick-Ass Oregon History. He told such crazy-ass stories, and not all of them seem to be true. So let's just be polite and say that we take anything Spider says with about five or six grains of salt. But Stuart Holbrook does note that Spider's assessment was published in two books and remained unchallenged. Also supporting the accuracy of Spider Johnson's tall tales, in his 1946 obituary, the Oregonian eulogized, The accuracy of his memoirs stood up remarkably well, for there were then many old-timers living who would have been avid to detect errors. Yet they found historian Johnson as sound as he was sprightly. So, for what it's worth... The one dude who said Erickson's bars were 684 feet in length appears to have been regarded as a credible source, at least in his obituary. We'll let you decide for yourself, dear ass-kicker. to be seen in Erickson's place. For a copper cent, for a nickel, down went the plunger and on went the lights, and the peering lumberjack beheld the alleged favorites of the harem, and diverse Rebelasian episodes that were the coarse romance of his kind. There was drunkenness, and there was epic, bestial, bloody conflicts, man against man, man against man, and diverse criminals prowled through the crowd. In this age of information and big data, how else might we be able to establish the size of a giant wooden structure inside of a saloon on Burnside? Perhaps, a look at the massive crowds that were reported to have congregated at this saloon. 
little has remained in the record about Ericsson's massive staff that was required to service these thirsty hordes. In 1961, Stuart Holbrook said, an army of well-trained bartenders was necessary to work the bar-sized block. Apparently a fan of martial classifications, Holbrook a few years earlier had said a regiment of bartenders was employed. The regiment of bartenders required to operate Ericsson's was selected with care. The men ran to grenadier size. All wore their hair beautifully roached. All had elegantly tendered mustaches. Across the broad white vest of each was a heavy gold watch chain. There was no house rule in regard to neckties, but all shirts must be white. Arm elastics were an individual matter. Scandinavian barkeeps liked pink. Others had a weakness for purple. Trousers were held in place by distinctively he-man galluses, none other than the Hercules brand, fit to stand the lifting of a keg and the torsion incident to heaving a bung starter, a weapon for use in emergencies. The bartenders were known for the courtesy. They were able to converse learnedly about prize fights, bike champions and such heroes, and to give sound advice in matters of love and business, and to prescribe suitable eye-openers, pick-me-ups, and to cure the common cold. Old-timey Erickson's bartender Oscar Newland gave quite a less romanticized, more straight-down-the-business answer about the staffing of the saloon. When speaking of serving the Elks Convention on July 4, 1912, Newland remembers dispensing 26 30-gallon kegs of beer. He said it took from five to seven bartenders to work the giant bar, and sadly, there is no mention of Newland's preferred color of arm elastic. Unfortunately. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. But there's no one left at home. Now, the survey that Oregonian reporter Arthur Kalor conducted in 1927 seems pretty damn thorough. Far be it from me to question the skills of an accomplished journalist decades after his death. Nor am I so self-absorbed in my navel-gazing over Erickson's saloon that I thought I was certainly going to find the answer to this quandary that confounded Kalor. Remember, this guy's writing about this big fucking bar maybe 10, 20, 30 years at most from when the schooners of Henry Weinhardt's beer that the perfectionist bartenders at Ericsson's used to slide gracefully along that marathon mahogany until they exactly fronted the patron, then to halt in a split second without spilling a drop of the fragrant suds. If Kaler, so close chronologically to the event, couldn't find the answer, what made me so fucking self-assured that I could do better? Why do you think it's so hard for us to identify how big this fucking bar really was? I mean, because it was big. It, it was, was big. No doubt about it was probably it. It was big. big. You know, I think Gus Erickson on a day-to-day -day basis probably cared way more about how much pickled herring and sausages and beer the guys were ordering and consuming than how long his bar was. 
He probably thought how much beer he was moving. That's the important thing. He probably wasn't thinking, oh, I have this long bar. Uh, he was probably thinking in terms of volume because, you know, he was a businessman. He was thinking, had other numbers to keep in his head. But, again, Erickson's is spoken of like it is Portland's big monument, like it's a Statue of Liberty or Golden Gate or a pyramid or something, so people want it to be a big, and they want a big old number that they can put on the monument. But Erickson's, I think, was more intangible. It was about the atmosphere, it was about spreading mustard on buns and eating sausages. Um, it wasn't about, like, the bigness of the thing, it was about the atmosphere. I decided to really get thorough in my research into the big fucking bar, so I went to the city archives to see if I could find the answer in some of the official paperwork of the city. Uh, this is Doug Kent Crispin, and I am sitting down at the City of Portland Archive and Records Center with Mary Hansen and Brian Johnson. Thanks very much for uh, hosting me today. Thanks for coming in. And I'm, I'm very pleased. You know, we've got uh, all kinds of boxes and, and things here, so uh, it feels very archivey. I'm, I'm so try. glad. Well, um, just give us kind of a brief overview. What do you guys do here at the archives? What's, what's, what's the job here? What do you do? We do a lot of things, uh, from doing preservation of the records and the archival material, but what I specifically do is help um, people find stuff. Um, I'm um, mostly in the research room, and I help people find whatever it is that they're looking for. We have Everybody can come in, so members of the public, city employees, students, anybody can come in. We have some rules that you have to follow, which you can find online, but we're happy to have anybody come in during our open research hours. Um, but what we want to do is provide access. Why have all this stuff if nobody accesses it? But we also want to preserve it for the next person that's going to take a look at it. So it's that tension between access and um, preservation and making sure that the documents are secure and not getting destroyed and um, by people manhandling them or things like that. So um, that's a big part of what we do is provide access to all that um, here on, on site and via the internet on our e-files, our online database. It's a beautiful facility you have here, and if people haven't come, they should absolutely, absolutely. Come, come check it out. So um, I came in last week, and uh, Mary, you're quite helpful in help and uh, selecting some documents uh, for me to look at, kind of getting at this uh, question of the, the big giant bar at Erickson's. And um, we have a couple of documents here, and I was hoping maybe uh, we could kind of tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things that we looked at and, you know, a few that I kind of pulled aside here for us to chat about. What do we got? Um, we've got a report of inspection cards, um, and the dates of these cards go from about 1908 to kind of the early 19... 30s but kind of in the 20s there's kind of a little date range there um, and what they are is when the inspector building inspector went out and looked to see what was happening um, at a building um, why I like them is because there's a lot of interesting information about maybe there's something about ownership maybe there's something about the old address um, pre because it's all of the records for these cards are pre 1933 so it usually reflects um, or has the old address or not anything at all it could be the corner of this street and that street which sometimes throws people um, but it's a little bit of information. Um, it's not necessarily all the details about a building, but it is a little bit. So somebody might be looking to see, oh, there was a, uh, a garage at this building, and it's no longer there because they found the permit that, does, that takes it down. Um, the ones that you are looking at, um, looks like they're 1910, 13, and 15, which is a, if you are looking for a building, that's a really good time to be looking for it because we have those. Um, 
what else do we have here? Um, well, this one is talking about a big giant brick beer vault uh, measuring 10 by 23 feet. It looks like seven foot high walls that was put into the basement, it looks like, of mm -hmm. uh, the old Erickson spot. Yeah. Which I didn't know about a big giant beer vault. Well, yeah. And it's not the only beer vault I've seen um, listed. But again, for me, that would be an interesting way to um, figure out what the language was at the time, because that's a really important piece of it. So in 1910, you might not look for a cooler or a refrigerator or something like that. You might look for a brick beer vault. Um, and you can see that it's um, the building is a saloon. So that's another keyword to search, whether on our database or in any of them, like the or historic Oregonian available online through the county library. It's a great way to kind of find those words. What was, how were people referring to things? Um, so if you have a document from that time period, it may be able to provide access to that in a different way. Because I don't talk about saloons all the time. Um, so, you know, I would think a bar, I would think, you know, a club, but saloon would be, you know, that's gonna be a better search word for this time period. So it's being kind of cognizant of that. And then we have another one that looks like some uh, seven foot high partitions uh, for the barber shop that uh, was at Erickson's, as well as um, partitions, I'm guessing, on the third floor for all the cribs where they were uh, the eight by ten little rooms. And they were also going to have uh, wire netting over the top of those rooms. Very, very attractive. So I'm, I'm looking at this, at some of these documents and it seems as if some of them do get into some very specific information about construction inside these uh, these buildings in Portland. Some of them do, but I'm I always say we're lucky to have what we have. It may not have survived. Somebody may not have asked for a permit. When people are looking for permits now, not everybody goes through the proper channels. Um, we have what we have, and we're really grateful for that, and we're happy to provide access. But. Maybe they didn't ask for a permit. Maybe they did it and they, you know, had to go through some other process. It's hard to say, um, but these are, I mean, these tell a certain part of the story, but not the whole story. Now, uh, Brian, you know, I was obviously looking for information about uh, how big this giant bar was at Erickson's Saloon. And from what I've seen, of course, we haven't examined everything in your archive, but from what I've seen, um, can't answer this right now. Why? Why is that? It's if this was the largest bar in the world, it seems that uh, this would be uh, pretty pretty evident. As Mary says, we yeah, we get a lot of questions, and sometimes people find the exact answer in the record, and and fairly quickly, and then other times we can search for years and not find it. So, yeah, I mean, theoretically, these cards, if there was a bar built after 1908 that was the world's largest bar, there should theoretically be a permit for it, since it is after 1908. So, it would seem that the archive did at least help us to narrow the date of the big fucking bar before 1908, and again, due to the extensive damage from the Great Flood and the massive renovation conducted the year after, likely not before 1895. However... But if it's not there, I can't say why. I can't say that this record is absolutely complete, that all these cards survived over the years, and some employee in 1913 
didn't refile their their inspection cards, but you never know. So August may not have obtained a permit to build the bar, or something may have happened and the inspection paperwork was lost in the last 100 to 115 years. So that date estimate could be total bullshit too. Brian Johnson continued. When we get, or when we have queries of this sort, there are a few ways, because we're talking early 20th century. There are a few collections that we can go to, uh, and some require more digging, so it's a matter of how much time somebody has. But there, there are a few collections that might answer those questions, and sometimes the answer is just not there, or the person doesn't find the answer. And that's uh, for a number of reasons, I guess, either things aren't there and never were, or they didn't survive the ravages of history and time, or um, you know, maybe we haven't looked in the right, talked about the right verbiage, or looked in the right place, and or the right depository. You know. Yeah, for our records, it's really, I talk about our having the city filter on. How would the city, how would city government and people interact? So if you're looking for something that didn't have to do with the city, didn't have to do with city government, there's a chance we might not have it, or there's a good chance we might not have it, because it didn't have to do with the record. They were they wrote these records because they had a need for them. It was a it was an infrastructure need. We needed the building to da 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 da. da. There's a whole process to it. But if it's not part of that, if you're not interacting with city government, the, the, we're not going to have a record of that because we are the city government records. And so that city filter, so how does, how does the city government and, and people intersect? That's the kind of records that we're going to have if they survive, but that's, that's the bulk of it. We're not going to have necessarily you know, volumes and volumes of records on a, a private business unless they had dealings with the city government and had a friend, you know, whatever that might be. So that we work with people a lot to kind of figure out what their question is and how did how might our records do it or might maybe we're going to send you somewhere else because that's going to be a better option and they're going to have what you're looking for we're going to have this very specific set of records so um, it's a really good thing when you're thinking about where to do research come and talk to us but we might not be the best place for that um, and so we like to make sure that people know that we're going to send you where you might actually find the records that you're looking for how can people find out uh, how to get in touch with you if they'd like to look into a specific matter? Um, there's a variety of ways they can call. Um, they can email us in a general email, um, and they can drop in during our open research hours. So that's sometimes the best way to go. Sometimes sending an email query and just say, I'm looking for this kind of stuff. And then I can send something back and say, you can look here, here, and here. These are some of the best places to go. Um, we um, sometimes say that we're not a great first stop were maybe a great third or fourth stop because you have to have some context for what it is that you're looking for. So if you're looking at the history of a neighborhood, you know, over time, that's a really big project to look for. And if you want to go back to the, you know, 1870s and through now, it's a lot of years and you need to have a, a kind of where would the city government be involved in that? So, you know, are there parks? Are there government buildings? Are there things like that? So um, starting off those questions, so dropping in, emailing, going online to our online database. eFiles is a really good place to start to see if the kinds of records that you want to see are actually here. And eFiles is essentially a catalog of, um, of the records that we have, everything that's here. 
we do have some digital files that are associated with them. So there are photographs that are online, there are maps and some plans and ordinances and reports and like the, what is it, the 1901 or 1903 parks report? I always get the date wrong. Um, so if you're interested in the Olms, Olmstead report, so that it's scanned and available online. And that might, if you're interested in the history of the parks, and their development, you might want to read that first before you come in. And when you're here, look at the stuff that's only available here. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for chatting with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. There is a help at the archives, I found some great details about the history of Erickson's Saloon. A giant fucking brick beer vault. A barber shop was built inside the saloon. But that bar, that giant yet elusive bar, was still outside of my grasp. And I began to wonder if I would ever find out how truly big that bar really was. And ultimately, I wondered if it really fucking mattered. And ultimately, is historians... Uh does it really matter how long that giant fucking bar in the North End was? I mean, the, does the length of that bar actually affect the legacy of what we today know as Erickson's Saloon? Nah. Yeah. Okay, and I'd be like saying, oh, the Chrysler building is uh, bigger than the pyramids now? Oh, pyramids are bullshit. No one's going to go there anymore. We have a bigger thing now. You know? No. Like, if there was a longer bar or a shorter bar or, like, a more ornate bar or a bar with more beer on it? No, that Ericsson's was still the place to be. And there's the urge to quantify that, but that's totally unnecessary. We know it was really big, and that's good enough for me. It's really big, with filled that. with dudes. Yeah. Conducting historical research and interpreting history is a bit of a maze. It's like when you buy that sweet unicorn rainbow puzzle at Goodwill, and you go home and you get stoned and you put it together. But some of the pieces are lost. That's history. That is the reality, the historical process. We just don't have all the pieces to the groovy rainbow unicorn. And we likely never will. And the truth about the bar at Erickson's is, we just don't know how big the big fucking bar really was. We know it was big. We know that there were likely several bars. And it's also likely that one of these bars, or more, were 100 feet in length. But that's it, man. Conjecture. And lots and lots of documents that support this conjecture, usually in a contradictory to the other conjecture manner. Now, in no way should I imply that this was a comprehensive survey. There are obviously more descriptions of Erickson's in personal accounts and scattered clippings in other archives throughout the West. So we encourage you, dear ass kicker, to send us any that you may come across that address this specific question. We'll add it to this account by posting it on our website, orhistory.com, on this episode's page. There are so many stories about Erickson's legendary bar that it's almost impossible to separate fact from fiction, but maybe that's okay. 
Maybe there's this gray area in history, a weird zone between what is true and what is legend. And maybe we can really just enjoy that space between the two. Acknowledge that it is a gray area and that we just don't know. But revel in it anyways. Enjoy the myth. Be proud of the tall tales. But again, Erickson's is such a convenient place for the imagination as it is, with all kinds of gray areas in this giant block-spanning bar on Burnside Street. At this point, I'm almost looking at this question as something like our tellings of D.B. Coopers and even Bigfoots. Maybe we're better off not knowing every single detail about August Erickson's big fucking bar. Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts from ORHistory.com. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-ass Oregon history is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more kick-ass Oregon history in your life? Learn more at ORHistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kank Crispin. His claims of crenellation are way out of context. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass.
orhistory.com.